so let's begin. Uh, welcome everybody to Edge Grip Podcast, and we were thinking about doing some sort of an intro, but I don't, I don't know, we'll, we'll think about it. Uh, this is episode number, what, what number is it now? Five. 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 <laughs> Five. And we have, um, we have the biggest guest we ever had here. Um, <laughs> we have Ben Spees. Yeah, usually I read the bio before I, before I say the name, but I didn't, I, I couldn't wait. So, so your bio is this, you started riding at the age of five, started racing at the age of eight. Uh, in 1994, at the age of 10, you won the YSR championship. Yep. Uh, 2000, the age of 16, won the AMA Road Race Horizon Award winner. Yep. 2003, AMA Formula Extreme on Suzuki GSX-R1000. 2007, AMA Superstock on GSX-R1000, which, which is the best bike in the world. Don't tell Nabil. <laughs> uh, <laughs> AMA Superbike Champion 2006, 7, 8 on a Yoshimura Suzuki, and of course you beat that that other guy. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say who. Uh, 2009, you jumped to World Superbike, and you immediately won World Superbike um, Rookie of the Year on an R1, um, which which I saw in the Long Beach show. They wouldn't let me sit on it, but I took a bunch of pictures, and I was like, yeah. <laughs> uh raced uh raced moto gp 2010 to, to 12 on a yamaha 2013 on a ducati scoring one pole position one win and six podium so you won a moto gp race right am i correct yeah, no championship just one race that was it well, that. well you stopped before you could win the championship we were we were just talking about you today and, and we were like if he hasn't you know had the bad luck that he had in 2013 he would be, he would be a MotoGP champion. So you you had you had that ability. You you, you just needed to click with with the bike, and you, you need to get off that Ducati. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we might we might you know give him a run. It's it's uh it's tough. Those guys are those guys are fast, but um you know it was tough when I was in GP. I will say I never. There were only a few days that I felt at home on the bike, you know, and it was uh. I think people are starting to understand a little bit more the the difference. Like when we see Gerloff jump on it compared to a superbike, it's not so much talent. It's how you ride the bike, you know, front tire to rear tire and squaring up corners versus, you know, mega roll speed. And it's just a huge difference. And again, I only had three seasons there. Um, so, you know, kind of learning and stuff like that. And then right when the thousand came back, I thought that was kind of our time. Um, had some bad luck in 2012 and then the injury and, and all that stuff. So, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say. I see what Dovey did after, you know, when the Ducati got better and you kind of, you know, you think you could battle for it or, or compete, but in the same time, you're not there. So it's just the, the way it is. But uh, we had a lot of good luck, you know, in the career. So the, the last kind of year, it did suck that it ended like that for sure. But in the same time, I can't be, you know, upset too much with, with the, the prior, you know, success. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the last accolade is the 2022 MA Motorcycle Hall of Fame. Did, you, did oh, they yeah. give you Did they give you an award or what's? That just happened, I guess. Yeah, a few weeks ago. So I got to fly out to Ohio <laughs> and and uh, get accepted with with James Stewart and Kenny Coolbeth and a few people. So now it's a that's a cool thing. Very excited and and uh, you know it means a lot. 
All right. Well deserved. Yeah, well deserved. Um, what type? Okay, I'm I'm gonna jump to the questions. Right, I'm so excited. I I can't. You know, usually it's Sorry, a regular podcast, long, but I'm I'm, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting starstruck and nervous, so I'm just gonna you know <laughs> do my thing. And uh, what type of influence did uh, Keith Cherry have on your career? And you guys still hang out? Yeah, yeah, that's actually my business partner now. So, um, so yeah, we, um, a lot, you know, he was my mom's boyfriend at the time, you know, when I got into racing and, um, you know, got me, you know, first bikes and first street bikes and um, just started in parking lots and, and uh, you know, was, was huge in my career. My parents were obviously both supported the racing, um, but yeah, if it wouldn't have been for him, probably wouldn't have, have raced motorcycles. So, um, was really big and he was you know good enough um, when I was younger to teach me you know the right things and in a good way and then uh, you know about when I was 12 or so 12 or 13 I kind of graduated past what he knew you know and, and that's when we got a mechanic to come in and and uh, started getting some different coaching and stuff like that but uh, no huge I mean when it came to discipline and and riding with the meaning and, and the right training and and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he was he was uh, a huge huge thing for my career for sure. Uh, do you have any uh, since you're since you're in Texas? Do you have any good hunting stories? I know you like to hunt. Yeah, no, I'm a I'm a big hunter. Um, I, I hunted a lot before racing, and then when I was about 14, till I stopped, I just didn't hunt as much because I was always training in the winter or trying to sleep because I was training and didn't want to duck hunt. But my my main hunting that I like is duck hunting and uh elk hunting with a bow um you know i don't really shoot guns at anything except for ducks i'm a bow and arrow guy uh deer all that kind of stuff so um i enjoy it i like getting on my feet you know in colorado and actually hiking you know and going after it um the last elk i shot was uh two years ago shot it right at twelve thousand feet so we had to backpack it you know all the way back to camp and do it the right way so um so yeah no, i'm not a not hunting every single day but you know when i do it i like it to be like that and in a challenge who do you who do you go off with uh we have a i have a pretty good group i've, I've got like seven or eight buddies that kind of the different types of hunting you know they're kind of a couple of them are more into it so um we kind of do a couple trips like that but uh but like i said now i've got a couple girls so getting up in the morning and, and not coming home till 10 in the morning that's kind of you know, the, those days are a little bit few, few and far between. Mm. How old are the kids? One is about to be four and then one six right now. So uh, they're wide open. You know, I like said they got Italian blood in them. So it's uh, it's full. Right <laughs> That's a handful at that age. Yeah, we're past that, thankfully. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do they speak Italian? Uh, yeah, they don't speak Italian great, but they understand 100%. And um, so when my wife's talking with them, even in the house, she's speaking only Italian, you know. Um, so when they went back to Italy this time, they actually were speaking some, and it just it made it nice for the grandparents and, and stuff like that. Where did you meet her? When I was in Italy, oh, you know, nice. back in uh, 2010. Um, so yeah, we've been, we've been together since then, 12, 12 years for me, long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She watched you race? No, no. Uh, she luckily, I mean, she knew motorcycles, but, uh, lived in, lived around San Marino. Um, you know, so we, uh, like I said, 2010, we met, it's kind of long distance for kind of a year and a half, 
and then I moved uh, moved her here in 2012 um, and been together, you know, since then, obviously. That's awesome. So what does she think about the US of A? <laughs> she likes it a lot. You know, it's uh, it's funny, you know, uh, on the on the political meter, because it's kind of, you know, now that she lives here, she sees a lot of things that I think, you know, some of Europe doesn't see. Um, and she likes it. You know, we, we both like, you know, Europe and Italy. If I could bring 30 or 40% back, you know, I would and kind of slow America down. But, um, but when it comes to raising kids and being able to get what you want, whenever you want at any time of the day, basically, I mean, that's America. So it's, uh, you know, we're a little bit spoiled, but you know, when it comes to raising kids and, you know, living a life, it's, uh, it's really nice. You know, she likes it. Like I said, there, there's some, there's some things like the food and the culture and kind of the easy going of the, the Italian people compared to, you know, how the Americans are that if we could bring back, we would, but, um, but she loves America. Yeah. A lot more go, go, go. Yeah. I have a foreign girlfriend too. And don't get me started on the politics. She's yeah. Russian and old. <laughs> no, no, I get it. no, it's, it's funny. It's, it's, uh, you can go to zero to a hundred real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I could have warned you, Nabil. I'm I'm half Russian, <laughs> and, and my girlfriend's from Texas. <laughs> oh, wow. Farmers oh, Branch. There <laughs> you go. So oh, I got great. I got I got a motorcycle question for you. Uh, yeah. So you went faster around Willow Springs than any man alive or dead in the 117s unofficially. <laughs> How did that happen? And can you break down a lap for us? I uh, Willow. Um, I mean, that was, uh, I gotta remember what year that was between six and seven, I think. Okay. Because I was I mean, at the long beach show and, and I was talking to one of your mechanics and, and he kind of blurred that you guys went to a test in, in Willow Springs and unofficially you did, you did a one seventeen, but he didn't, he didn't really want to talk about it, but he talked about it. Yeah, I mean, Willow's a track that honestly, I, I don't have a lot of time on. Um, you know, I did it a 24 hour back in 2000. When I was 15, I did it with Army of Darkness um, in a Weir race. So that was kind of the most laps I did there. And then we did, you know, that one test out there. So I mean, honestly, I can't even hardly remember what years were what but I just turned two and turn nine turn eight you know, on the super bikes, it's just, you kind of get lost out there. I mean, it's for me because I didn't have a lot of time out there and it was one of those, like almost a rookie mistake that just trying to go so fast, picking up the throttle too, fa too fast in the middle of two, I was about to drive off the track. You know, I just kept accelerating, accelerating. I was like, this turn's never going to end. Um, and yeah, so it was a, it's a, it's a different track for sure. It's, it's really bumpy. It's fast. Um, But, you know, like I said, about that test and, and all that, I can't remember a whole bunch about it. Um, but it was, uh, I remember we did go quick there. I can't remember exactly how fast we went, though. Did you did you double apex two or, or did you just hug it? What's that? Did you double apex on two or did yeah, you just hug it? I mean, it? My, my riding style is always, if I can kind of run it in <clears throat> and triangulate the corner to get it out. I just always do, you know, and try to scrub speed on the side of the tire on the entry more or less. So, um, yeah, two is one of those where you can accelerate so hard into it, you know, and basically just let off and let the corner and the, the side of the tire slow you down, turn it, you know, and fire it back out more or less. I mean, it's a long corner, so you can't really triangulate it, but it's so big and wide, you can run it in the entry and 
just kind of scrub the speed as you slow down instead of just breaking before and you know entering. Yeah, my main my main problem there is ground clearance with my boot. I don't know why my boot just is just on the ground too all the way and it just limits me. That's got your main problem. as far as you can back on the pegs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have gigantic feet. <laughs> now, now you went 123s around Fontana, which is another track we ride at. Um, oh, that, that was a fact we talk about big feet. You know, I wore, I'm a size 11, but when I raced, I wore nine and a half boots. Just because, um, just because it's less wide? Yeah, well, just because I would drag my toes. And, and that's why when I raced, if you ever saw my feet without socks on them, I had like my toenails were dead because all my I ran my boots so small just because if I ran 11s, I was always kicking my toes as far as I could in the front to bring the boots back because um, I would drag them on the ground. So Alpine Star, we ended up having a custom, you know, size where it was more or less nine and a half. Um, just for race food. and it was uncomfortable it hurt but it was just that was the only way i could i could ride i hear you I'm size 13 here so oh, well. yeah. <laughs> i can't fi i can't I'm figure out the gear the, the gear shift i mean i mean just you know trying to figure out above and below and it's Those yeah albatross feet yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so, so you you're self-interested because we go to that track a lot what's the secret to montana montana yeah, so that's a track that uh, it's not like I love it, you know, but I was, uh, for some reason, I was pretty quick there. Um, and just, you know, the turn one chicane, there's there's so much speed, there's so much time through the first one all the way till the, the bus stop left-hander through the apron. Um, you know, it's, it's over 100 mile an hour. So the way I looked at it with all tracks is the, the faster you can be through the faster section, that's the time. You know, so, you know, turn one, I would pick up the throttle before the curb, like the curb that's on the banking, you know, I'd pick up the throttle before that so I could help change directions with the bike. And sometimes I wasn't always the fastest just breaking into it, but I would pick up the throttle a lot sooner, make the bike transition through the left, right, left a lot faster. Um, and then also, I think I just was a little bit more comfortable sometimes staying close to the curbs or staying close to the edge of the track. Um, you know, there's a there's a couple pictures and a couple turns in general where, you know, if there's no curbing, you know, I would run the tires about two inches, you know, from the grass and I was hanging all the way out, you know, over the grass. So in that corner, which would have been turn three by setting it up like that, hanging way over and getting the bike turned, when I make the next right, I'm able to be straight lining back for the left that you know was the the big acceleration point of that track so <clears throat> just my line through the left right left would would make the bike be 10 degrees more stood up through the fast left that you're accelerating coming back into the speedway so it was basically doing that through the chicane and then doing that through that next section that first you know all through there i think that was the biggest advantage of the track and what, sure. what gear were you on when you when you did that turn two and well, three I think uh, in turn three on the superbike, it probably was first gear, um, just because they have super long first gears in them. Um, but you know, going through the chicane, I'm gonna—I believe it was down two gears, down the fourth gear through the chicane. Okay. And then it was, you'd be spinning in fourth all the way around the apron, um, and then back down to first or second. If you're on a super stock bike, it's second. If you're on a superbike, it's first. 
Okay. Taking some notes, that goes for about 10 seconds for me right there. <laughs> and you go back to first year on a super stock bike and it's going to start chattering all the way in there. So that's uh, that, that was the negatives I didn't like about racing production bikes is always kind of having to not use first gear. 600 you could sometimes, you know, but thousands, it's really tough to go down to first gear and not get the bike chattering and, and, and all that stuff. So Yeah, I, I would go to first gear, turn nine. Uh, it's, it's the left one, and, and it would just really uncontrollably out of it. So I stopped doing that, and I just went to second, mm -hmm. which is yep. – uh, I'm losing speed, but I'm not scaring myself too much. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so speaking of tracks, then, what's your U.S. favorite and your world favorite? Or top two, three, if – And that's uh... – I mean, that that people ask me that all the time, and it's uh, it, it it's the animal shapes, right? Which which yeah. animals? <laughs> a T Rex. Uh, that would be good to take it. Um, you know, in America, Laguna. Everybody says Laguna because it's cool. I mean, it's got the corkscrew and all that. But um, I don't know. I mean, I'd probably have to lean a little bit more towards like Road Atlanta or Road America. Mm -hmm. um, through the woods and, you know, good elevation. Road Atlanta has just wicked elevation, um, if y'all have ever ridden that. And then, um, you know, in the world, Phillip Island's a real special track. Everybody says it for the obvious reasons. Um, but then even, you know, going to a track like Monza, for me, um, I always looked at it like it's just straightaways and it's just really heartbreaking chicane and the parabolica. That's basically all it is, but the way that the track is through the woods, because um, it's a big park, like it's a huge park that the track's actually in. So people are always walking around and doing stuff and um, it's got a lot of overhanging trees on the back straightaway. So that was always a really cool track as well. Um, so yeah, I would have to say, you know, there, Aston was cool, Phillip Island. When it comes to the world, those are probably my top three. And then in America, you know, Road Atlanta, Road America, Laguna. I, I, it's too hard to do one track. It's tough. <laughs> so you prefer fast and flowing racetracks over technical racetracks? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I mean, America's a lot of technical tight stuff, you know, hard breaking, stop, fired out. I, I love, you know, the tracks like that. But, you know, when thinking about it, you know, you go to Mugello, you know, tracks like that, it's... Uh, you have to be able to ride that style just because, you know, the way that we raced in America just doesn't work. You know, the, the bike settings are different and just the way that you, you ride is, is a lot different. But, uh, but again, like even Mugello, again, you, you ride that track, it is unbelievable. Um, so it's, it's tough to, it's always tough to name a track. There's too many good ones. So is it, is it easier to transition from here to Europe or from Europe to here? Uh, Asking, asking for asking for a friend <laughs> yeah i mean you have to be on the same bike you know again if you're gonna um you know for somebody like i think garrett you know going over racing super bikes i think that move is probably uh it's probably a little bit easier just because the european guys when they come over here um the bumpiness of the tracks and some of the safety of the tracks it kind of spins them out sometimes so sometimes they just don't push as hard as they're used to pushing because of the what if factor um, and that's what i you know just through the last 20 years you've kind of seen that with europeans in general not not a bad thing because i can understand it once i'm coming back now to america but 
Um, but yeah, it's like if you're going over, you need to be on the same bike. And, and I think it's a little bit easier for a top level American, you know, going like a Gagne, jumping on a, you know, a, um, a Yamaha over World Superbike and being at that pace rather than Locatelli coming here and beating Gagne at Sears Point. I yeah. don't see that. You know, I, with, I see that a little bit harder just because it's such a big difference with the tracks. Yeah, you see yeah. it with, with Petrucci this year, right? So yeah. his, his main concern is, I don't know where the bumps are. So I'm just following yeah. Gagne. Yeah, and he's also fighting some other stuff too. I mean, they're, you know, not not taking anything away from Gagne because he's also had his had his number. You know, I mean, he's been a little bit faster than him everywhere, but he's made a couple mistakes that Danny Lowe's capitalized on, et cetera. But a lot of people don't talk about the the difference with, you know, the bikes and the Ducatis on Dunlops because, you know, from my knowledge, there's not many fast Ducatis ever that have been on Dunlops just because they haven't been racing them in the series for the last 10 years. And that bike was developed for Pirellis in world Superbike and BSB. So I don't think that bike works, you know, as good because it's very stiff. Um, so that's that, I think that that's just something that people don't understand. I think if you put them on a Yamaha, not saying he runs off and hides from Gagne, but it would be a little bit easier for him because he doesn't have data with the bike. And, um, you know, just the Dunlops with the Ducatis, that's just an X factor that I don't think people understand, you know. Um, but again, he's, he's, he loves it here. <clears throat> and he's, a, he's, you know, he's done Dakar, he's a motocross guy. So some of these tracks, you know, I think sometimes can be better for him because he's a bigger guy, you know, he's more my size. So he's not, you know, getting hurt now by the acceleration of the bikes um, like we always were in GPs. <laughs> And, uh, but I think with him, it's just trying to get the bike to work a little bit better, you know? Yeah. He also came in and he, and, and he, uh, he did some, some things I think on, on, uh, on his Instagram that he shouldn't have done. And, and I think he understood it. Uh, and I think once, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough situation. I mean, it is, it's, you know, I'm not making excuses for him by any means, but I, I know him pretty well and he's a very good guy. Um, I just think it was a little bit of a snowball effect when all the stuff happened, starting in Atlanta with kind of the engine thing and some stuff that happened and then, you know, crashing in Virginia. And it just kind of, I think it was a little bit of a snowball effect, but as in now, you know, I think every, everybody's seeing the true, you know, Petrucci and he loves it over here. They like him. So, you know, I hope he stays and, and think he will. Yeah, I hope so. that's good. I mean, I mean, over there it's, you know, it's, it's a motorcycle culture, right? And then everybody's, you know. You, you got Rossi that, you know, can't even walk down the street. Uh, and over here, everybody in the sport is just trying to advance it because, you know, the grandstands yeah. are... It, it, uh, you know, to give him credit a little bit, I mean, because you see some comments like, oh, go back to MotoGP or World Superbike if you don't like it. And it's kind of, you know, everybody needs to have a little perspective. And it's like, he was a factory Ducati guy. He's done Dakar. He's done all this stuff. And, you know, coming coming to Moto America, it's, it's good for the series, obviously, him coming... It's a little bit of a step, you know, down for him respectfully, but it, you know, it is. And I think just trying to, you know, grasp everything with a couple bad things that happened that were a little bit out of his control. Like I said, it's just something that kind of built up and went the way it did. And, and, but now, like I said, I think it's completely turned, you know, and everybody kind of sees, you know, who he is for sure. Yeah. would love to have him here for, you know, as long as he wants to stay here and race and, and live here. Uh, I mean, I mean, almost everybody that came over here, uh, Hector, Barbara, and, and everybody else, they just love it here, and, and they call it home now. 
and and the yeah. sport the I mean, sport is better for it yeah the, i mean the racing the racing and the the paddock and and Elias. The, i mean every it's it's awesome here i mean a lot a lot of people love it it's just trying you know they're building it back to where it was and and they actually are doing a good job the last you know kind of three four years for sure um so it's uh it's good to see and just like i said trying to get it back to that level and then things can be easier you know for everybody but you know to do that we kind of need the factories to get you know a bit more involved as well yeah it's it you know it, it's tough i heard I heard suzuki are not going to be making the jigsaw anymore because it's not euro 5 compliant so you know who knows it's it's it might be going into uh you know race bikes only uh that are not street legal who knows i mean yeah, but that's I mean, also that's it, that's it, that, the catch twenty two to that is that's going to help the youth. Yeah, it's going to be a sport. Yeah, yeah. Once you go and you separate that, you know, the sport from riding on the street, and it's easier to make a sport out of it. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's an important point, actually. We rarely talk about what. What are your thoughts on what's happening with the motorcycle industry, like in general in the U.S.? I know there's this ongoing thing like you know we've raised a bunch of kids that are a little too too protected and we don't want to put them on motorcycles and that hurt the industry and nobody's buying bikes and well that's i mean, I mean that's, not, that's not the motorcycle industry that's just the that's just america in general you know as in like trying to keep everybody safe and doing all that stuff because um because yeah when i was i mean when i was 14 i was riding a 600 when I was 15, I was riding a 750 and 1,000. I wasn't racing them, but when I was 15 years old, I was riding a GSXR 1000. And when I was 17 for attack, I was riding a 200 horsepower Formula Extreme motorcycle when I was 17. So, and that's what Nikki Hayden did. That's what Curtis did. That's what John Hopkins did. That's what, um, you know, everybody did that kind of grew up in, in the earlier years. So, um, like I said, it's, it's a, it's kind of hard because there's not as many places to go, you know, in as many teams and, um, opportunities. So you kind of get stuck in that way because for me, like if you're, if you're 15, 16 years old and you're on the gas and you're on a 600, you know, then you should be off a 600 when you're 18, not when you're 22, 23, you know, you need to be on a 1000 when you're 19, you know, if 18, if you're a really good rider, um, so it's, you know, there, there's things like that, but again, it's more the opportunity of teams that aren't there to do that. Um, so it's kind of, you know, it's difficult, but like I said, the, the American general, that's, that's kind of keeping your kids safe and doing all that stuff. The motorcycling industry in America, I just don't think they've had um, as many choices, you know, to kind of do what they were doing 20 years ago or 15 years ago. So. I think that's a little bit more of it, but in the same time, you have to look at, you know, how are we going to develop the kids to be competitive um, with less opportunity? And the only way that's going to happen is riding race motorcycles with race geometry that are teaching you grip and teaching you corner speed. You know, when you're riding, again, this isn't a knock on anything, but if riding a Ninja 400 compared to a Moto2 bike in development skills, the Ninja 400 does nothing hardly. If you're talking about wanting to go race in Europe, you know, if you want to race in that class and be competitive, then that's fine. But I've said this for years now, and I, I know this is a fact. I mean, if you take, you can take the 10 best American riders, and if they're riding XR80s and XR100s, 
and then you put them on a plane and you give them CR-80s and CR-125s, they can't ride them. They don't know they, that the level of the bike is so much higher than what they've been on, even though they've been maximizing that motorcycle. The other bar is up here and, and all the kids in Asia and Europe are at that bar, you know? So that's the only thing when we, if we ever talk about making the kids and the youth in America, being able to compete with Moto2 and all those things, that's what we're missing, you know, in that regard. Um, but again, it's it's opportunities. And now there's a, you know, a talent cup in North America. So, you know, I think it's the it tracks, you know, it's people know what they're looking at, but that's 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 the way I see it. It's I'll see it as a snowball uh, that that's moving in the wrong direction. I think that a lot of young racers, they're second and third generation racers. I mean, I mean, if if someone just wants to race and their their parents don't understand racing, they're not racers. That that's not going to happen, right? They're not going to put ten grand on a on a race motorcycle for them. So well, I mean, it's it's <clears throat> it's tough because in the same time, even if they do, it call, I mean, there's a money aspect of it that it, it's not cheap you know, but, um, but in saying that, you know, a mountain bike now is the same price as a motorcycle almost. So, um, so again, we have to figure that out, but I think that a lot of it just is kind of how America's changed in the last 10 years in general, that that's been the, the biggest effect, you know, on everything, but. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I got, I got a good question for you. Um, this, this question is more for me than for you and Nabil. Uh, what do you think made the Suzuki uh, K56 so good compared to all the other <laughs> all the other uh, motorcycles that came out at that era? Uh, I mean, me and Matt were riding those bikes, <laughs> <laughs> so the bikes were good. But that that was kind of, I mean, that was a large part of it, just because. And it's not you know patting myself on the back, but it's me and him were you know, fighting each other. And all we did was try to make that bike as good as we could, you know, and it was, I think other, other bikes and other manufacturers that, oh, it's all that it's the Suzuki. It's just, it's cause it's a better bike. It was cause of the work we put in. And there's no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, in qualifying and practice, you know, someone like Roger Hayden would even attest to this. Like if it was a slow lap in practice, um, I was a second off our fast times, you know, they could be another factory guy, a couple of them in practice, kind of slowing down, looking around, I would pass them and I wouldn't be looking back to seeing if they're latching on to me and following. I wouldn't care. It was just about getting everything out, you know, of that time of that session to go back and look at data and do the best we could, you know, at the bike. So we started with that and the Suzuki was a good motorcycle. There's no doubt, but what we did in, in, you know, 03 to 08 with that much development, we worked with Japan a lot. The bikes were just, we were getting everything out of them. Um, and again, there, like I said, there was a lot of people that it was just like, Oh, Suzuki traction control. And it was, or it was just the Suzuki. And, and then until they all, they all got TCs and, and the results didn't change. And yeah. And then, you know, again, we, in 2009, we went over to world Superbike, and that by far was not the best bike on the grid. And it showed what, you know, work ethic and the writing, you know, all that stuff was doing. And I'm just, I say that because I bring it back to Suzuki in the States. It wasn't, it wasn't anything magic. You know, the bike wasn't, mag it was a great motorcycle, but it was because we had a plan and we were getting the most out of it 
um, come race time. And uh, we had, you know, two really good guys on the bike, me and him, and great mechanics and great teams. So, I mean, that much knowledge just made the bike as good as it could be. Yeah, they still can't uh, touch your lap times, for, you know, for some reason. It just, you know, lap times. But, from- some, some have fallen, but I think we... I do. I know we have Road Atlanta still, which I'm surprised about that one. Uh, Petrucci got kind of close to it, but um, it's pretty insane, right? With with a, a 20 year old, is it 20, 15 year old? Right yeah, it was 2000. Uh, said it 2008. So, and, and they still can't touch those. Yeah, but you know, sometimes you also got to factor in. Um, you know the tracks deteriorate some. I don't know what tires, what how good the tires are now. They're running. I mean, they're it's a Dunlop spec tire and they're not competing with, with everybody. So it just, back when I was riding them, you know, there were some people racing them in world Superbike, I think. Um, and even in GP, there was a couple, you know, Dunlops out there. So, you know, the tires could have been better back then. Who knows, but I'm not buying that. I, 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 yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt it. it it's, I, it. I was laughing because uh, every podcast, that question comes from Gal because he owns a Suzuki. It's like, what is the best bike in the world, and why is it the Suzuki? <laughs> I mean, it's you know, I, I liked all the, I, I liked my own nine Yamaha. I mean, it didn't change directions for anything. It was heavy. Um, it had a really short wheelbase, so it wheelied a lot, um, and it did a lot of stoppies going into the corners on the brakes. But the turn in and where I knew the front tire was, that's what I had with that bike. The Suzuki was a better all-around package, but the front end of the Yamaha, I knew I could put it right there, and I knew I could make the rear end good enough to ride ride it out. You know, I mean, the the rear is a lot easier to ride than the front. So as soon as I felt that with the front, that was kind of that was what we had with that bike, and it had decent top speed, but it just didn't have good acceleration. So if I came out in second gear, kind of mid-range onto a straightaway, we would get killed. If it was third gear like Phillip Island where it's dumping you on with momentum, we had one of the faster bikes up top, you know, so it was just kind of, it had some weaknesses to it. Um, there's no doubt, but again, like with me and Tom were just talking about it a couple nights ago. And, um, you know, if we went back in 09 and we had our 08 Suzuki, would have been a lot different. <laughs> you know, would have been a lot different, but I, I do like the Yamaha too. I mean, I loved riding it. Um, it was a great motorcycle. I was going to say the, the road bike was not, that great <laughs> i mean street bike yeah, i mean they like i said the guys that they got on it the year after me i think they were a little surprised when toslin and and i think it was milan baby um that got on it but um and they did well on it but it's just that bike was not easy to ride i mean it wasn't it was heavy um again it changed directions like a motorhome it just with that cross plane crank it was really heavy um but it had a smooth motor and it had a really good front end so i mean we could we could maximize the bike but it was uh we were a little bit at disadvantage, you know, to the Ducati and, and uh, Suzuki that year. Well, Josh Hayes was, was winning on it here. So mm-hmm. so how did how did you make the move from Suzuki to Yamaha? And please please don't say it was two thousand and eight, you know, we we had the financial crisis, I needed money. And no, that's that's not well, that's not yeah. why you did it, right? I mean no, there, there, World Superbike C there, there were a few things. I mean, I, I wanted to go, you know, straight to Suzuki GP and I had done the GPs and, and, you know, qualified fifth in the dry at Indy. And I think we finished six in the rain. Um, had just won, you know, three titles. So I felt like we were kind of the candidate and especially at my age, you know, and, uh, 
that was just something the way the Suzuki GP team was being run then, um, you know, just didn't happen for whatever reason. Um, so we, and that, that was kind of my first pick, but it just wasn't, we weren't able to make it happen. The two riders, they wanted to retain them and that was it. So as soon as that happened, you know, I talked with, um, Yamaha America with Tom Halverson and, uh, and I was just like, you know, I think I need, you know, a bit of a change. Da, 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 da. And he goes, well, you're not, you're not going here. If you're going to ride your Yamaha, it's going to be a world Superbike, and they're calling you tonight. So, um, they called me, we started talking and, and, uh, this was before Laguna Seca before the last race in 08. And then, uh, they flew me out to, to Italy the next day, me, Tom and my mom and, and my manager flew out there and, and, uh, signed the deal, um, came back to Laguna, raced it, uh, won the championship. And then, you know, we're ready to go to 09, but it was, it was a lot of that Suzuki. It didn't, we were trying to make it work. It didn't happen. Me and Kevin Swans actually were trying to get a, a second uh, Suzuki team with a different title sponsor, um, which would have been a full factory effort. And that, that would have been really cool, but didn't, didn't work. And then, um, and then also, you know, Mel Harris, um, he did, he came to me in the middle of 08 cause he knew I was kind of, I was talking to Suzuki Europe and he also knew I was starting to kind of talk to some other people. And he told me flat out, he said, if you want to make money racing motorcycles, Ben, you have to leave. It's the bottoms dropped out. And that was it. So, I mean, that, that was, it was, it was both of those reasons, you know, honestly enough, because, um, yeah, I mean, I racing, like I said, it, it's, it pays for the retirement now and for the girls. So I had to maximize everything I could. And, went over there and raced. And, and like I said, if, if America never would have changed, I probably would have never left. You know, I mean, I love traveling in the motorhome, racing on the American tracks. I hate flying. Everybody knows that. Um, I did it. I had to do it. Um, do, you, do, do you fly business class or do you stick in coach? Yeah, no, I did have to do one coach flight. Um, we, we had to fly to Malaysia and coach, and that was horrible. Um, I give all those people respect, but uh, <laughs> that was it. You know, it was just um, um, that was the that was the best choice, you know, to make at the time. And and like I said, I said flying would never change it for me, or it wouldn't. It would never change my, um, you know, my path with racing. But I I also told people I didn't want to do it. I didn't like it, you know. So this had to happen. So for a guy that didn't like it, you went over there and you humiliated the entire world. <laughs> so wow. so after the, the first couple of races, did you go back to the motorhome and you went like, you know what, it's, it's, it's not that difficult. I don't know what they're whining about. And <laughs> we have a shot on winning this. Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh... I mean, to be honest, though, I was going over there to win the title. I mean, I, I had won three titles in America. Um, my feeling at that point was just, you know, I'm able to ride a superbike as hard as it can be ridden. So I'm just going to these tracks. I got to learn them. I got to learn some stuff. But I, I know I can ride the bike, you know, mo you know, at its limit or, or close to it. So that was my feeling. You know, I downplayed it in the media. There's no doubt. You know, I was like, I hope, you know, we can do it. But for the whole time, I wanted to win the first race of the year. So that's how I was. And a lot of it, that's how, you know, from racing Matt, I had that kind of instinct, you know, where I just wanted to win and, and had that kind of that killer in me. And, and, and that was it. So when we went to the first test at Fort Mayo, we rode a, a 2009 bike with Superbike swing arm. Uh, super bike suspension brakes, but it had a super stock motor in it. 
I mean, it definitely only had probably 10 more horsepower than a stock, a stock one. Um, probably, you know, probably 25 down on the race bike, I would think. And um, went out there on the day after the test and we, I went out first on Haga's 08 bike and I went faster than he did um, in the race week and the day before. So that was learning the track. And then um, I kind of was understanding the lap times at that point and then got on the 09 bike and went a little bit quicker. And I think we ended up second quickest or quickest on the day. And uh, that was with learning the Pirellis and the, you know, the track and all that stuff. And I just, uh, this was a true story. I, I took Mayo and Houseworth out to the pit wall and we sat down. We were watching them just work on the bikes and start to unload everything and, and disassemble, you know, the garage. And I said, hey, and I was like, it's going to be tough. And I was like, there's a, it's like, we got a lot to learn, you know, but I said, I know after today feeling what learning the track and seeing the pace of the guys, I was like, we can do it. I said, it's, it's going to be tough. But I said, that's what, you know, I came here to do and, and we need to, it needs to happen this year. And I said, if we don't win it, I'm going to be pissed off. So <laughs> that was, that's how it was. And that was, I swear, that's, that's a conversation we had. So, you know, when we talk about that, the one thing that still, you know, pisses me off today, big time, is that uh, me and Biaggi in race one at Phillip Island, because I wanted to win the first race. We won the second one and we would have swept it. Um, I do feel if I wouldn't have ran off the track, we probably could have won it. So yeah, that bugs me even now because I wanted to come in and sweep the thing and, and do it, but uh, we, we didn't make it happen. Made the championship happen. And and I got to say the guys, you know, they were all welcoming, even though I was the rookie coming in that kind of, you know, set everything on fire a little bit. They, everybody was awesome. I mean, the paddock, it was kind of more of an AMA paddock. Like everybody, you know, had fun. We would have drinks, you know, Sunday night together, me, Johnny Ray, Haga, Fabrizio, not as much, but, um, but it was good. I mean, I had a blast. Yeah. Money uh, GP's old business, but worth super It's gotten better. It's gotten better. I mean, you know, from when I was there till about, um, five years ago, it was pretty, you know, cutthroat. A lot of the media wanted you to start wars with people, the riders with power did stuff, you know, behind the scenes, there's no doubt. But now, you know, when it's became just kind of more even, it's, you know, you can see the younger guys, they're they're enjoying it more. You know, they're having a lot more fun. Um, I think Jack, Jack Miller is getting them all drunk. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes they're a little bit too huggy for me, but, you know, they're having fun, which is, which is nice to see because I will, I know from like 2004 to, you know, about 2015, 16, MotoGP was, was a different element. Everybody will tell you that, you know, if you walk into the, the, the crowd or the, the paddock, it was just, you know, a little bit stiff and everybody's kind of sizing each other up or world Superbike and AMA was never like that. Um, so, I mean, those were, those were the favorite series for, for those, you know, types of reasons. Yeah, and it's it's better long, longevity also. I mean, if, if you like what you do, if, if you're in MotoGP and there's all this pressure of, you know, we got to win and, and, you know, we got to hide it from the other guy, right? Even if it's, if it's a teammate, right? It, yeah. It's not enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about this transition from World Superbike to MotoGP. I mean, that's a whole different world, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, you know, I lost a little bit of weight. Um, I was what well, AMA Superbike. I raced around 165. And then when I went to 09 and Superbike, you know, a little more straightaways, 
little slower bike. I kind of got down to 160, um, was really lean, you know, at that weight. And then when I went to GP, I had to lose more weight, um, just cause I was, I was just too big, you know, and, and, uh, had to do the whole muscle atrophy over the winter and taste the metal in my mouth. And that was not fun, but, you know, got down to about 152, 153. And that was me, you know, 5'11". Um, but I was just a lot bigger boned, you know, than, than most of those guys as well. Wider shoulders, like Rossi's my height, but he was 140 pounds. So I was giving up 15 pounds to him, even though I was physically leaner, had less fat than he did, you know, but it was just, that's the way it was. Yeah, it's not healthy. Um, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's not, but it's, you know, it's short term and yeah. it's, it's just, that's, that's the way it is. It's sport. So it's not always, you know, healthy when you're competing, I guess, if you want to say that, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, for the other guys like Casey and Jorge, their weight, their, their size, it's easy. They can have the muscle mass and be 140 pounds and make it all work where even, you know, me at 155, it's one of those things that, yes, I mean, I can go through a chicane a little bit better, you know, than say Danny, um, when the bike gets upset, like if you're kind of like what happened with him and Nikki, the rear tire comes off the ground yeah. and it kind of gets out to the side and you have to let off the brake, let it come down that jolt, you know, I could, I could hold on to that stuff a lot better than say Danny could, but on the flip side was, you know, tire management was horrible for me, even though when I was good with it on super bikes, I was just heavier. So I was having to roll through the corner a lot more, more heat in the tire pick up the throttle sooner for a better drive or trying to, you know, get my drive closer to someone like Danny at Indy, you know, coming on the straightaway. So you're using more tire, you're, you know, using more fuel and you're, you don't slow down as good. If, if everything's good on the brakes, how many more kilos do I got to stop than the other guys? And nobody seemed, they don't, you know, they just don't think about that type of stuff. And then in the same time with MotoGP, there's 20 liters or 21 liters of fuel limit. When you have a fuel limit like that, you know, it probably at least 50% of the tracks, you can't run the bike at full power. It with me, just because of the weight, you'd either start the race in an auto lean mode or it would finish like that, but you would rarely ever be able to run full throttle the whole race where other riders could. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's one of those things that, on a super bike, not as much because the grip level's lower. Um, but with when the grip level, you know, gets up higher, those things are affected. And it shows also when they put more downforce, um, like with the bikes now, the passing's just kind of starting to go away some. So, um, so that's yeah, that's the that's the deal with GP bikes. It's things like that, and then a super bike where you know you can go into a corner, break really deep kind of almost flat track the bike and stop it squared up out of the corner. A GP bike is kind of, um, I guess the, the best analogy is like riding a dirt bike with that you're locked into a rut or like a bobsled track where you get the thing stopped straight, you know, with the quarter, you let off the brake and you drop your head in and just throw it in and you use that momentum um, and you create force with the tire laterally. And that's where you get the grip out of the tires with GP bikes, where with super bikes, it's a lot more squared it up and drive out. You don't have all that grip on the edge. So you kind of, you know, you brake with the bike more up and down. You, you pivot it in the middle of the corner so you can pick it back up on the drive out. Or with the GP bike, you just let the front brake off and you're building speed through the corner for the drive. 
So it's just a completely different way to ride the bike, you know, and they feel completely different, but it's also how you ride them different. So when someone like Gerloff gets on it or even Top Rack, you know, on his first try, I talked to him after and I know, I mean, he told me what I already knew. And it's just like, you can't ride the bikes the same. And I told him, I said, hey, be careful going in the corner doing your rolling stoppies like that. That bike will high side you going in because they're just so stiff. You know, so just, you know, things like that. They're just, they're great bikes and the, the technology is just here. But, you know, when it comes to riding them, they're completely different from a, a super stock bike or a street bike. Yeah. I mean, those those chassis, they don't need to deal with potholes on the street, right? So yeah. it, it's just stiff to the max. And it, it, I, I imagine it's also brittle. So you can't really. They, they feel, you know, they feel like they're. I mean, compared to a superbike, the general feeling is is it's like a superbike to a street bike. I would just say it feels 25% stiffer. Just the swing arm and everything. Triple clamps, you get on a GP bike, it's another 25% stiffer. So you just can't, you know, you can't ride them with them twisting them, you know, in knots coming out of the corners and um, doing that stuff because they're, they're so stiff, but they I, have so much grip. I imagine it's harder when you're taller as well because you have all this extra leverage right if it, if it makes I sense. think it is harder now yeah I mean the the level you know it really changed in the last four years with how much grip the bikes are but just because again like you look at the last two three years especially the passing yeah the the racing's you know getting tighter but the passing's not good at all really I mean they have a couple races where it's all right but you see a lot of just follow the leader and when they do try to pass Sometimes it goes wrong or they just overshoot the corner because now with the downforce and all that grip from the tires, the, the, uh, the in-between areas where you can make the passes, they're just, the gaps are closing. And even, you know, Jack Miller said at a press conference, the, the passing zones are just getting tighter and tighter. And, you know, if you're a good enough motorcycle rider, the GP bikes, and it's what Fogarty said too, they're, they're easier to ride. So that's why they it's getting tight like that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So you've done some big transitions, right? You've done it all. Uh, you went from American racing winning year to European tracks. You, you know, haven't raced before beating everybody that's been born on these tracks to MotoGP and, and getting great results as soon as you hit the ground running. What's the mental fortitude? What, how do you learn so fast? How do you adapt so fast and perform at that level that quickly? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I hate to lose one. I mean, that's just all there. I mean, when it comes to being competitive, if it's something that I know that I'm halfway decent at, if I don't, if I'm not good at it, I don't care. But if I'm decent at doing it, I hate losing. So, I mean, that's, that's the first thing that's probably the most important. But uh, two is that, you know, I just kind of, when it came to the new tracks and the new bikes, like I kind of said, I just felt like I got to a point where, riding two wheels in a motorcycle you're riding it that hard where i'd go to a track and i'd say okay the most important thing right now for me is is to break as far into every corner as i can and that's how i would figure out the corners like i just get my breaking point as late as i could where i'm kind of running into the corner almost running wide and then i just start piecing it together and after you know eight or so laps it's not that bad i mean yeah you're still getting smoother throughout the next session and whatever and, and not looking like, you know, you're just completely out of control, but that's what I would do. I'd just say, okay, well, I'm going to run it in as far as I can 
in every corner that doesn't have, you know, an exit like a straightaway and just figure it out, you know, and, and that's what we did, which again, video games, it's a big difference. Like when you, you know, you, if you're good on a bike and then you also play the video games at a good level, I just always told people your timing, you know, it, it gets your timing when you get to the track. I mean, yeah, it's a little bit different in real life, but a lot of things are pretty similar too. Yeah. That reminds me when I went to uh, actually uh, Phillip Island. I played it on the video game for two months before, so at least I learned where the turns were. Yeah. But that, that's amazing because what they teach you kind of like is to start braking early and then push your brake markers deeper and deeper as you get to know the track. You just did the opposite. But that, I don't condone that for an amateur, like at all. Like, no, I mean, but that was, that's, that was the best way. And I mean, I, I was, one of my stronger points was the brakes too. I mean, that, that was what I like to, to be good at. But in the same time, that's, that's exactly what I told Tom. When we went out to these tracks, I was just like, if I can get, I just got to get into these corners as deep as you can, and then I'll figure out the rest of it, you know? And then, um, yeah, Phillip Island, that, that was a good one. That was, that was one I played for years on video games. And I do think, I remember the first session we went out and I think, you know, I went out for like eight laps or so. And I got, I think in that session, we got about two seconds from, you know, where the guys were in that first eight laps. So it was, that's usually what we would, you know, kind of try to do, get in that, get in that realm, you know, in the first session. So basically let me translate from Ben Spees to English. In English it's, I went out and I made the track my bitch. <laughs> and, that, and that's how I won. <laughs> so that's, I mean, that's how I went. That, in that, those years, I mean, that mentality, when you put your helmet on, that's what you have to be thinking. I mean, or, or something along those lines. I mean, you have to go to that level, you know, if you're, if you're wanting to do it. But that's just, that's what we, that was the easiest way for me to do it. It was just find the breaking points and just kind of put it all together. And then you go and you psych out everybody and going like, yeah, that looks like a T-Rex. <laughs> that video that video got so many what was crazy was there was actually quite a lot of people from malaysia you know some some other countries that thought it was one i was being 100 percent real and that's, i was like oh man that's why they're not winning <laughs> so i got a question about that uh which track reminds you of which animal right so which track would be the chupacabra and which track track's going to be the fluffy bunny <laughs> <laughs> oh my god chupacabra uh, which one which one i think i did call one which one did i i, did, I don't one. remember yeah i can't remember <laughs> that was funny <laughs> uh who was your favorite teammate you can't say colin edwards oh. all right say colin edwards and i I had a lot of good teammates. Um, you know, a lot of them played played a pretty good role for me, I think, too. Um, just developing, you know, as a writer, Jason Pridmore did, you know, when I was at Attack. Um, he was obviously the, the older guy then. And, and um, you yeah, know, didn't win that year, but it just learned a lot from him. Um, you know, Grant Lopez at Valvoline, he was, he was a good, you know, kind of, teammate but um yeah i mean all of them tommy hayden was great at yosh i remember i would talk with tom we me and tommy were racing in the superbike class and we would kind of talk about racecraft stuff and and um kind of help me with the races i mean he was just a little tick behind me and matt 
Um, but he would, you know, if I was like, Hey, what do you think? You think I should throw out, you know, six, seven laps like this and go for it or try to do this or whatever. And Tommy, we would talk a lot about it, you know, and he would kind of, he's like, you know what you're doing, you know, but, and just kind of, you know, backing me up, um, things like that. But, uh, a lot of good teammates. I mean, Colin was awesome. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to pick a favorite one. I mean, Colin, it's hard to. Colin's a great dude being from Texas. I mean, it was pretty, pretty fun being a teammate with him. Cause he was my hero, you know, growing up and one, one of my couple heroes. So being able to be teammates with him in MotoGP, two Texans on a French team, I don't know how that ever <laughs> happened, um, but we had fun and it was a, it was a fun year. How is, how's the Ducati compared to the Yamaha in MotoGP? You know, I, I, that's, you know, some people ask that I, I never got to ride the, the Ducati past my 80% because I was hurt, um, just didn't. But uh, if, you, if you were a motor journalist, right, and, and it was just, you know, you would just have to tell everybody, you know, I did a comparison. Yeah, I didn't go 100%. I did 80%. Uh, and this is, this is the things that I feel about, you know, what's different. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically it was the seamless gearbox was the was a big thing and then you know the horsepower it had it had more horsepower for sure usable horsepower back then wasn't as good um but it probably had another 12 or 14 more horsepower noticeable you know once you got up to to fifth gear you know for sure but you know again that that bike wasn't you know the greatest ducati but i never got to ride it that hard you know i mean indy before i got hurt you know, I think I was about a second off the pace or something like that. And we were about eighth or so, but I was still riding hurt. You know, I wasn't riding a hundred percent. So, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't as good of a package as the Yamaha for sure. Back in, in 2013, 2014, 2015, it was, um, but, uh, but it was fast and the gearbox was pretty cool on it, but I just, I didn't ride it that much. You know, I probably did 200 laps on it total, you know, maybe and that was it. Yeah. So you, you've been either teammates or in the paddock with, you know, all the big MotoGP names. Tell us some stories nobody knows about, you know, Lorenzo's and Rossi's and kind of what's the internal stuff that nobody knows about. Wait, wait, we have to blur, uh, we have to blur him first and, and change the voice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, well, well, I was, I was over there with Rossi and uh, there was, there was those two fans uh, i don't want to tell you what well, happened I mean, rossi's good rossi's fans they they beat to a different drum sometimes <laughs> but um but now he was uh i mean he he's you know what i mean rossi made what moto gp is today i mean he he's definitely the goat for sure um don't have i don't have any stories on him and we we just we never hung out much but um jorge i mean i have a few stories <laughs> about him and he's uh He's funny. He just, like I said, he's, he's a little out, you know, kind of out there, but, uh, but in a good way, just kind of, he doesn't think much. Like if there's kind of somebody talking about him or some kind of something going on about him, um, that's not good or even good. He doesn't really, doesn't register with him. You know, he doesn't really care too much or uh, you can see by the way he dresses, he obviously doesn't care too much. Um, <laughs> Didn't no, he, he jump? He was, didn't he jump yeah, to a lake one one time after a race? Almost drowned when he was in his leathers. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but he, a, a very genuine guy. You know, if you just judge him off of like what you know about him in racing, I could see some people would kind of maybe not like him that much. But if you actually sat down and talked with him, he's a very 
you know, genuine person. Um, I saw him go out one time without his gloves on. In the <laughs> left, pit lane, left pit lane had no gloves on and came right back in. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, was he riding a Hayabusa in Florida? No. <laughs> no. Uh, that, was, uh, that was the pain when it was about 110 degrees. But um, I think a lot of the things about him were generated by the Rossi PR machine because he, he was battling him. So. Well, I mean, to you know, to be fair too, when it comes to when it comes to like trying to get a one up, if you're in a, a verbal spat, like him and Ro- you know, him and Rossi got into it a few times. He didn't know how to do that well. You know, he would always kind of go the wrong way and make himself look bad. You know, which which again, it's kind of one of those things that you say one thing a little bit wrong in print. You know, and people have it obviously out of context too, and just one of those things, but you know, he's, uh, yeah, he wasn't able to fight that well, you know, with Rossi in that regard. Um, but, uh, but he was a good dude for sure. You think he, you rode, you rode so hot. I'm sorry, Nabil, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I always found myself defending him because most people here who would say something and they would rile at him and say, well, he's a whiner. I'm like, look, he's being super professional and he may not be the best, you know, outspoken person and maybe he's a little shy or, or, you know, socially, um, you know, not very gregarious, but everything he always said sounded like, hey, I want racing to be safe. I want it to be fair. I want it to be, I mean, that, that's how I perceived it. So it, I'm, I'm glad to hear kind of you, you sound like you believe that's the way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is. I mean, because like I said, there's, there's, there's been many, there's been times where I've said stuff and people have taken it the wrong way or it's been out of context or, you know, they don't know me and they don't understand how it is. And that's fine. I mean, that's just, that's the way media is. And that's the way some media works to get more clicks and to do what they want to do, um, yeah. which is fine too. But, um, but no, I mean, for, to, to call like any of the GP racers like that, you know, whiners or something, it's like, Hey, <laughs> not saying any of them are, are better people, but it, cause they probably can't do your job, but you have no clue what it's like to sit on that bike at 170 when it's spinning like in the rain and, you know, yeah, people don't have that perspective. So it's kind of, you know, it depends what he's whining about, you know, sometimes, but, um, but yeah, it's just, like I said, there's, there's different things that aren't taken the right way, but, and it sucks because again, if that person just sat down and had a meal with that rider that they might not like, you know, it'd be completely different. So that's always the problem with, with, uh, media but that's every sport too yeah people just see that 20 million a year and they go like oh this guy's wanting he's overpaid right but they don't they don't as, understand as soon as, they, that, yeah. as soon as they fixed that gas tank i mean he didn't that yeah. everybody said oh man he shouldn't have left ducati because then he would have went off and won the next world title which i agree with everybody but makes I also, mistakes i also agree that if yamaha wouldn't have let him go he would have won at least another title yeah so um, there's that aspect of it too. You, you, but. you do what you need to do to win it. At the end of the day, you're the guy going 200 miles an hour and you're mm-hmm. the only guy, guy that can do it. Right. So the fact that, you know, people sit on the sidelines and, and have opinions, their opinions are not based in facts. I mean, it's, it's good to have, it's good to have opinions, but it's just sometimes when people kind of, when they go to the next level of like, you know, it's almost like they want to answer from him. Like, why'd you do that? Or it's kind of like, hold up, you know, <laughs> like just pump the brakes just a little bit, you know, it's just, it's, it's a little bit different like that. But that, again, that's, that's kind of the way it is with sport, but I think people just should have, try to have a little bit more perspective, you know? 
Yeah, it's the same in baseball, well, then, football. You know, it's kind of proven when you think about it. Uh, well, you guys, all the sacrifices, all the training, all the preparation, all the hard work, and then you break something in FP1 and you're racing or qualifying again two days later after surgery. I mean, you know, incredible feats happen at that level. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, like, again, someone we call Jorge a, a whiner, but he breaks his collarbone on Friday and has surgery on it and comes back and races the same weekend. No, you, they would never even let the hospital. So, you know, so it's like that, that's kind of, that's what I mean, you know, by that, you know, in, in that regard. And then like traveling, you know, I think people don't understand too, that the, the riders, we kept our plane tickets uh, for a year and we, we flew 500 hours in a plane, which is a month out of the year. So if you take that out, you know, and then your airport time, and then you're still training and you're still doing all this stuff. And, and then you show up to a race and you have food poisoning and you miss a day. And then you see, you know, somebody, oh, he's not, he's, he's just got a little a stomach bug and he's not getting on the bike. It's like, you have no clue what's going on. And I'm not, you know, not saying it's just, it's all fairy tales and stuff like this. It's a great lifestyle too, but you know, there's, there's a lot of it that's work that people don't see, you know, it's flying in Wednesday on an international flight for meetings Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, flying out Monday morning with not much rest. And it's kind of like, oh, he's over in France doing this. And it's, I mean, it's, it's great. Not going to trade it, but it's work. You it, know? It's getting better now with that new MotoGP show on Amazon. What's it called? I forget what it's called. Oh yeah. It's kind of like that F1 thing yeah. that they did. Yeah. 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 They, they really show almost everything. Yeah, it's just, you know, to, to, you know, say something for the guys in general, it's just all, all the guys at the top level, you know, your top 14, 15 guys, it's, you know, they are working their asses off when it comes to training and, you know, just all that. They're putting in so much more work than Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I mean, that's the easy work, you know. All right. So speaking of other racers and, and uh, accused of whining, uh, stoner and Ducati and and the and the lactose intolerance mm -hmm. thing. What was that about? I mean, that was you were around at that time, no? Oh no, yeah. I mean, he's got lactose intolerance. There's no doubt. I mean, he we we eat dinner. He's eating these pills, and I mean, it's no, it's. I saw him battling, you know, a couple times, and and that's what's, um, you know, again, it's in the same time, Casey, you know, getting in the the battles with Rossi there's nobody that ever beat Rossi with those verbal battles and it's, he's good at it, but he's also, you know, has the power behind him too. And, you know, with Casey, sometimes, I mean, there were some times that he probably said something that, you know, could look like that, but then there were certain times where he brought up something that everybody was sitting there, all the writers were going, yeah, I mean, he's right. But then some of your, you know, guys that don't know, they're like, Oh, he's whining about it or, or whatever. And they're like, Oh, if you knew anything, he's not, you know, so, I mean, there's, there's that, I mean, but that's, again, that's kind of, that's media, how they change everything or, or whatnot. Um, but when it comes to riding, I mean, that dude, I mean, him and Marquez are the only two people that I actually, you know, in awe a few times seeing him ride. Lorenzo did stuff perfect. And he was kind of in that metronome way of lap times, just so smooth and just knocking them down. And that's what Casey would say. I mean, he'll just, he'll stack 25 laps in and you can't, you know, you just can't run that relentless pace. But like with Casey and Marquez, 
you know, you could, I could follow them through a corner. And I've said this a bunch of times that, you know, you see something and it's like, okay, I mean, I can do that every now and then, you know, but that's insane. And the, and only two people have ever done that. I mean, you know, again, Lorenzo, Danny, Rossi, um, you know, all the, those guys fast, but it's, it's kind of like you could see what they were doing. Lorenzo had a very 250 like style, um, more kind of like bag night, just lots of corner speed really quick, but to watch, you know, someone do something on a motorcycle or, or, or manipulate it, that's Marquez and Casey. For sure. I, I would think, I mean, I would think you can only do impossible things for, for so long until it comes and bites you. Right. And you can see it, you can see it with Marquez. You, you can see it with Lorenzo one, once he starts, once started crashing and I, I see it when I, when I train jujitsu, right? Some guys are phenomenal for phenomenal for six months. Right. And, and then they're off six months and, and you ask them what happened. Oh, my back or my, you know, my shoulder. Oh. I think once you go past that limit, um, you start paying the price sooner or later. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, um, it's tough because you're, in some ways, you know, you're mentally still, you know, wanting to do it, but you're kind of like, all right, well, I've been hurt. You know, I don't want to get hurt again. I don't want to, and it's not about getting hurt. It's just getting through the whole rehab part, you know, and doing it. That's what a lot of people don't think. It's like, you break your wrist. It's I'm not, nobody's scared to break their wrist. They don't want to do it, but it's how much time you're off. It's the surgery. It's all, you know, all that type of stuff. And it just starts weighing on you. And that's where Lorenzo, you saw him get to the point where it was like, I mean, until I can win or I feel like I can push this bike to win, I'm not going to just sit there and throw myself down all the time. A lot of people didn't like it, but then as soon as they got the bike right, I mean, unbelievably fast on that Ducati. And then on the Honda, he had just kind of, you know, he had that crash at Barcelona where he lost the front and he took out one or two guys. And everybody kind of criticized him because he, you know, it was his first kind of, but that was his second weekend on the Honda where it just started clicking and then that crash happened, and then I think that was it, you know. Yeah, but that that was a big deal because he had been, you know, a lot of people, they don't realize, like, Lorenzo did a couple, he had a couple injuries that were pretty good and come right back, you know. And I think he just got to the point, like a lot of riders do, where they just, they don't want to fight that battle, you know, of coming back from the injury. Yeah, you come, you come out rusty, you come out, you know, 99, 98%, you know, 90%. Uh, and, and you're not, you know, you're not getting any younger, and and it's just, I mean, it's, this is one of the most demanding sports on earth. Yeah, and I mean, every couple of years you got the new kids coming up, and um, and it's it's like that. I mean, you have to be. I mean, if you want to win at that level, um, you you have to be fully in, or it's just, I mean, you one click off, it's apparent, you know, and you know it. Yeah. What What do you think about? Yeah. This, this How about is... yourself, Gal? By the way, nobody's getting old here. Um, I'm, I'm twenty. I was going to ask. I'm twenty years into getting old. <laughs> so you think? Do you think Marquez is going to come back the way he was? I think. I mean, it'll be better than he was. I think too, because Mar I mean, Marquez is different. Marquez is different. I, I'm. I mean, that dude. He is. You, you're not gonna. I would have probably started looking at retiring with the eye stuff 
you know, not, not, I mean, when he came back this last time, like I think in the last year, you know, something happened with, oh yeah, he had that big crash in Indonesia maybe. Um, anyway, so a huge crash there and then messed his eyes up. I would have probably with the kind of money he's got done what he's done, the injuries he's had with his arm and his eyes, I probably would have started looking at it, but I, I know, you know, Marquez a little bit and I know a lot of people that know him and that dude is on a different level. I mean, he really is. So, I mean, what I say to that is that, yes, I mean, physically he will come back. I mean, they knew at Qatar this year that he was going to have the surgery, like that his crew, they knew that he was going to have this surgery. So it wasn't a big shock. And, you know, finally he just made the, made the call with the Honda not being a very good motorcycle right now to get his arm fixed, you know, and get it done the right way. And I think now he's got that assurance that, you know, he's got, he's putting all the rehab in and all that stuff, but it's not going to be as bad as it was. It, it might not be a hundred percent. Yeah. It's not going to be a hundred percent because he's been injured and it's never a hundred percent real. So, you know, he's going to have something, but I do think last year was way worse than physically he'll be next year. But the question mark is the Honda. I mean, since starting 2018, that bike has definitely not been the best bike on the grid, not even by far. And now it's the worst bike on the grid. So, um, you know, a lot of 2015, 17 was Marquez kind of just making that little bit of a difference. And then from what I've seen and kind of talking with people to 2018 up, they've been just struggling really bad with the front end. And then the last year and a half, the electronics, I know that they're struggling with just watching, you know, a couple of things, what the bike's doing, um, all that, you know, that crash he had in, in I, I think it's Indonesia is the one where he hit his head, that giant one he had that crash when he crashed, he was not on throttle and he wasn't on the brake and the tires were hot. So for me, the electronics gave him too much, uh, they freed up the rear wheel too much because it might've been backing in and it just went around and high sided him because he went through the corner before and he was spinning it on the throttle. Tires were hot. He's up at pace. Then he goes into a corner and he chops the throttle has no brake on and the rear end comes around. That should not have happened. I mean, if, if he wasn't going to make the corner, he should have just ran wide, not have the rear end come around like that. That's an electronic thing. So I know that Honda, they need to make some differences. The The bike is not good. I mean, you can see Taka, um, you can see everybody. I mean, there's nobody, you put Bagnile on that Honda, he's not in the top five on that bike, no way. I mean, because the front end's junk on it. So they got to make that bike better for Marquez to do what he needs to be doing. You know, if you start talking about Marquez on a Ducati the last four years, it's a completely different subject. <laughs> I, I don't understand what's stopping them. They sell more motorcycles than everybody else on the grid. And you I, see, I think he's, uh, you know, with Repsol and, and Honda, and, you know, I think that's a, that might be a life deal. You know, it's, it's just hard to say how they have it, but, um, but either way, the Honda needs to get better because that bike is, I would say it's the worst bike on the grid right now. And I mean, from 2018, the Yamaha, Ducati and Suzuki were better. The Aprilia was just slow, but it handled better. So if I was Marquez, like in 2019, I think he would have done better on the Aprilia. It, it could be well, engineers. It, it, will, it could be they're lacking engineers because you see what they're doing in World Superbike. They're trying so hard and they're not, you know, they're not even on the pace. And you saw, yeah. you saw what they did with Batista. And no, it's, it's, safe, it's safe to say that right now the Honda is the worst bike on the grid. 
the by far. I mean, there's like you can't the Suzuki, Ducati, Yamaha, Aprilia. I mean, the KTM. It's kind of hit or miss on certain tracks. But I mean, that Honda is not good right now. So hopefully they get it better, and hopefully he comes back okay. And if he does, um, I think you'll see a hundred percent out of Marquez. But in saying that, you know, you've got two to three new guys now that are there that are fast, that, that can beat them, you know, heads up. So um, I'm not going to say he's going to come back and dominate by any means. Even if you put him on the Ducati, you know, I don't think he dominates, but I think he can, I think he'll win another title. Yes, for sure. Do, do you think he's going to jump ship to Ducati or is he Honda for life? I think he's, I think with what he's went through now, I mean, if he was going to do it, I think he would have done it um, personally, but um, we'll see. Do you think Ducati will win a world championship in our lifetime? Oh, yeah. In our lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's, you know, I, I am a, a Yamaha guy, but I see, I do see a lot of ah, things. Ah, ah. You're a Suzuki guy that, that did a few seasons <laughs> on Yamaha. But you're a Suzuki guy. Yeah, if they wanted just, to work together, we would, but they don't. So. Uh, okay. Um, so, um, so anyway, I do. I think Ducati, um, yes, because I see a lot in Peco. I see a lot in Cordoraro. Everybody does. I mean, he's made the difference, um, but I do think his style, you know, suits the Yamaha a lot. Um, kind of like Jorge did a little bit, but uh, no, I see Peco. I mean, I see Peco winning titles, multiple titles on a Ducati. Didn't he just win the race of champions? What's that? He, he just won race of champions, right? And uh, yeah, yeah. In, in Ducati that, World Week, as a fun race, that I think they're just popping wheelies and stuff. But <laughs> I mean, if you look at what he's done since he since that San Marino GP that he lost the front when he hit the tear off from Miller, that's when it all clicked for him on and it's been really apparent. And the, the thing that sucks is Ducati kind of a little bit messed his season up with the way they did their development stuff and testing. And they even said it, you know, and he even said it, you could see the first four rounds, first five rounds. He wasn't, he wasn't like he ended the season or where he is now. So they messed up on their testing plan in the winter um, that started their season off slower. There's no doubt they, they owned up to it. Um, but in, again, in saying that, if you give Pecco the bike he's on now in the first five races, you know, and at, he's there, he's made a couple little mistakes. There's no doubt, but in the same time, there's nobody else that we can talk about. That's, you know, would be beating Cordero for a title. I mean, Jorge Martin's coming in and Bastanini, but Pecco and, and Cordero are the only two. You think Cordero is, is running out of talent right now? Is that what it is? Uh, I mean, I think it's, um, I think the bike's got to get better, you know, and I think that's, it's not really a knock at Yamaha per se on their bike. It's a little bit more of the Japanese philosophy and that's with the wings. You know, it's clear that Ducati and, and KTM, Aprilia, especially Ducati, they invested in, in the downforce and an arrow and it's paid off. I mean, they had the arrow in different ways from wheelie you know, to, to downforce. Now they're doing it on the side of the bike to pull it down. Um, where Yamaha, you can see their progression with wings. And a lot of it is just kind of a little bit of Japanese kind of mentality um, on how they go about stuff, which isn't bad, but it's just, it's not as aggressive. And, and that's why they're further back. So, um, 
But in the same time, I think they take away wings in the next couple of years, just like they did 800s and everybody spent a lot of money for nothing. So, um, because it is going to ruin racing, there's no doubt. So they're going to have to go backwards. Um, so that's where you'll see another kind of shift to it. But I think that's where Yamaha suffered the most is not, you know, if they put in a million dollars towards Arrow, um, then it's a completely different last two years. Yeah, if they, I think that if they would have done it a little earlier, Rossi might have had another, you know, good season or two. Not not that he shouldn't have retired when he when he did or two years prior, but the two years before he retired, I think, would have been a little a little better for him. Yeah, maybe three. The la the last two years I saw you could see a, a change in like just from him on a on a short straightaway to hitting the brakes. It it just wasn't as crisp or as fast. Unbelievable for being his age, being doing what he was doing. But the last two years, you could see, you know, he lost that that uh, that aggressiveness or that kind of that hurry up, you know. And, and a lot too that crash that happened at Red Bull Ring too. That was pretty wicked, you know. But uh, but I think that's. I mean, you could just see it, you know, that he just kind of he, he's older, you know, and he started riding the bike not like a twenty year old was riding. Yeah, I think it was there because. Yamaha and MotoGP probably asked him to, because people yeah. people came to see him, mm -hmm. and and at the end people came to see him come in almost last. And oh, I mean, yeah, and, and now you see the attendance too, and I mean, yeah. there's a big shift, big yeah. change. Yeah. So how about Aprilia? Is a heartwarming story, right? They came from nowhere, uh, worked with Alej, got the bike all the way to winning races. You think they got a chance? Yeah, I mean they. they <laughs> They do. I mean, they, and they, they've worked well together. I mean, it's been interesting to see Aleish because, you know, I raced against him and, um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's put in his work to get up there. You know, it's, um, it's, uh, you know, I didn't know if he had the talent to be right at the front end, but he's been working, you know, the past years and working with Aprilia, um, not giving up and, and you can only pat him on the back now. I mean, it's, he's, he's been, you know, he, he did a lot with Suzuki and he's done a lot with the Prilly. I mean, Honda needs to hire him. That's what they need to do. Um, but you know, that's, that's, uh, that, that is a good story. And I do think they're winning a title. It's, it's going to be tough because I, I would say, you know, when you look at Jorge Martin, Pecco, Corderaro, um, rider talent, I'm, I would say they have a little bit more talent than a Spargo. Um, I, he's doing well, but I think he's operating at a hundred percent in the bike and in the package and everything. The bike can get better for sure. But in the same time, when Pecco or Fabio's on, he's not on, he's not at their level, you know, when, when they're, when they're really on, I mean, there's just, you know, he's not there when it's kind of a, a conditions race or, you know, stuff like that, or he can get in there and battle he, he's in there, you know, but he's just that he's that little tick off. Do you ever look at them with the elbows down and you go like, ah, copying me? <laughs> no, I just, I think it's funny that, that, uh, I mean, it's just because me and John Hopkins, you know, back in the day, which again, like I was watching guys, John Philippe Ruggio, you know, when I was watching 88, 500s, he was dragging his elbow. So, um, there, there was the guys before me, but it is funny because, you know, me and Hopkins style, it's a bit more, it's normal now. You know, and even more aggressive, actually. I mean, if you watch Pecco from the back, 
um, or Martin, they're completely off the damn bikes, like completely off of them. Um, so it's, it's changed a lot, but that's, again, that's, that's the downforce and that's the grip that they're, they're an extra wing with pulling that bike around back when they didn't have all that grip, you didn't need to ride like that. You know, you're actually riding a little, a little more dirt bike style because you're sliding the bike, but here, you know, you're basically in a roller coaster through the turn. Yeah. I remember uh, watching an interview with you, uh, where you defined your riding style as quote unquote sloppy. As they're, yeah, as they're showing big, as they're showing videos of you, like inch, you know, inch after inch, you know. Yeah, well, from, what I mean by that is I was, I was real, I was real sloppy in the way of I didn't care. I was precise where I put like the tires on the bike on the track, but what the bike did under me, I did not care much at all. <laughs> like I, when it was moving around or shaking or whatever, you know, people, oh, that that kind of happened. I liked it. You know, I mean, I, 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 you know, I came from super bikes where I was won my first super bike with no traction control. So, I mean, I came from the, the older, you know, um, bikes moving around, sliding, backing into the corner, which they never do now. Um, it was fun to ride back then. And, and, um, so that's what I mean by sloppy is I was, if there was a, like even turn one at, at Fontana, if there was time to be made and it made the bike a little bit upset, I didn't care. <laughs> you know, and I liked it, you know, so that's, that's why my bike, I was always just a little bit all over the place. Translation. I made that bike my bitch. <laughs> There's a theme there. Yeah. <laughs> Nabil, I think, I, we, I, I think will, I will tell this, this was a true story. Um, and this, this just shows physics because I can't, I can't do it. I couldn't have done it back then. Um, if you asked me to, but going through turn one at Fontana, I think it was 2007, I believe, or eight, we went to the smaller forks. Um, I forgot what they were. We had the big giant ones in 06. And then in the 07, show us. It, we went down like two millimeter, three millimeter in 07 or 08. But um, the, the handlebar bolts, the clamps, they were two bolts and they were all torqued down to their deal. But when I go through turn one at Fontana off the, the banking, turn one, and I'd go to, you know, pull to turn two, I would pull the bar into the tank. I would spin it on the forks. And then I'd be, you know, the bars would be like this. And this is a true story. On pit lane, the Houseworth, who's a big, you know, 250-pound guy, Hans, who is my truck driver, he was a big old dude. They grabbed the handlebars themselves, and they, they could not turn it. They could not get it to move, but it was just the physics, what the bike was doing, plus what I was doing. And it, it's just, that's all I can say was the physics of what was happening that would do it because we had to take the clamps off and put a three bolt clamp with stainless steel bolts wow. that they wouldn't, uh, spin. Wow. That, and that, that was a true story. And I mean, they, I remember Yoshimura, they were like, huh, They're like, you've got it. Why, why are they spinning? They were like, tighten them down. They're like, well, we're going to break the internals on the forks <laughs> so uh, so they had to change them but that was uh that was a physics thing that wasn't because i was that strong but it just shows what forces are going on you know, now, with the bike now do you, do you pull on it because every, everywhere you know everywhere when i when i do it on whatever i read right it's always push the bars not not pull the bars so if i if i'm going through a chicane and and i'm gonna try to do it as make the flick as fast as i can like, again, let's just say turn one at Fontana, you're starting right there. 
as soon as I'm thinking of going right, I mean, obviously you're picking up the throttle because it's going to unweight the front, make it easier. But I'm with my left heel, I'm pulling, I'm pushing with my right foot and my left arm, I'm pulling and I'm pushing with this one. So you're on the left side of the bike hanging off. And as you go over the center of the bike, like right when you're in the center, I would basically be putting my elbows like this into my stomach. And you're just like trying to rip the bike to make it change direction. And it's all, it's with your feet and at your hands at the same time. It's pulling left, pushing right, pulling left, pushing right to go from left to right. And it just makes that flick happen that much quicker, but you have to use everything. Okay. Yeah. That, that's, that's a good secret. Cause I, I, your arm if you're going to do it at half speed. I, I only push it. I only push it. And now, now, you know, now I know I got to push it and if pull it. If you're pushing with your right hand and you're pulling with your left, then do the same thing with your feet. With your left heel, you're grabbing your rear set or whatever, and you're pulling on it, and then you're pushing with your right foot. You do that both at the same time, and it just makes the bike flick. Mm. You know, it's a good secret. Yeah. Now you're learning more notes. All right. <laughs> So, so now we now we have a question from the audience, right, Nabil? Is, is that what it is? Right, from, from a certain CE who chose to remain anonymous. Yeah, is, is, is a good question listener. Is a good listener. I mean, I mean, his wife says he's a good listener. I don't know. <laughs> so what was the question, Gal? Um, oh, hold on. I got to grab my phone. Where is CE's text? I got I got to run in about five minutes or so. Okay, ask about the cyclic the cyclist chick built like a brick house in Valencia, 2010, 2011. Maybe she wanted some speed time. I don't think she got it though. <laughs> Who was that? Who asked that? I'm not gonna tell you. <laughs> oh. I wonder who would have asked that. They, I mean, they got to know me. <laughs> Um, no, that was, uh, that, that was, I'm pretty sure that was a girl that, uh, went to most of the world superbike races. Um, and I didn't know her that well, but, um, but yeah, I do remember seeing her and she was jacked. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. I think she was trying to get in somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> who, who asked that? Come on. I know them. Uh, CE is a listener. Single digit uh, race number. Yeah, yeah Colin. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say anything. I, didn't say. <laughs> I got some Colin stories. All right. <laughs> Dish. Yeah, no. I, no. I, 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 <laughs> All right. We'll should, have to do you went to one. Yeah. Should Should we end? Oh, yes, baby. Ooh. Let me see that. Oh, yeah. Look at that beauty. Woo. That's the real deal. Nice. And that's that's the 07, Jixer? 08. 08. Wow. Wow. Very cool. Uh, hold on. Are you going to take him out to track day? How does this come back on? Well, we can still see you. We see you. Oh, okay. I can't see you. Yeah, I've talked to Tom because I've got a, a membership uh, out at uh, here's my little simulator, car simulator. Um, oh, I've nice. got a membership out at uh, Eagles Canyon 
for my cars and I wanted to, I wanted to take the bikes out there next year sometime and just, just ride them. Not, I mean, nothing crazy, just get them started and, and ride them a couple laps. Um, yeah. Those but, babies, they need to run. Yep. Yep. So 